Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hour in finance radio. Tongue's still very much in cheek. <clears throat> I get a kick out of that. Maybe you guys don't. But until, hey, until we get challenged, right, I, it remains a one-horse race. There's just not a lot of finance radio. So, we're, we, you know, hey, we're going to take it. Right, We'll take the win. One horse race, best race. To, it's the best one to bet on, right? Uh, anyway, got a great show planned for you today. I was telling our folks on KTTH. <clears throat> for those of you that don't know, the way radio scheduling is really odd. You know, you'd think it'd be all uniformed. It's not. And when you're in three different states like we are, you're working around different schedules, different radio stations, that kind of stuff. Um, and with KTTH, they've got a three-minute window that none of our other stations have. So we kind of do the original opening. KTTH is a local station up here in Seattle. It's where we got our start. Um, And uh, so we do our little opening. And I was telling the folks that we got a great show planned for you today, but no interview. The reason we don't have an interview today is because I've got a bunch planned for the end of the year. And so I wanted to cover a lot of stuff. As a matter of fact, we might just go over on our list today and do another uh, deep diver extended, uh, extended hour session uh, just to tie everything up because there's just a lot to get to. And um, I think that what is happening right now in markets is 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 fascinating. Um, I think it is not obvious. And I think that it is misleading and mispositioning a lot of people. Um, I think that people are worrying about the right thing or the wrong things and aren't worried enough about the right things. And so we're going to go through all that in the market update. We're also going to talk about crypto. I've been getting a lot of questions about crypto, a lot of volatility in crypto recently. Um, <clears throat> as a guy that has made a lot of money, uh, not, not a lot in terms of like amounts, but in terms of, um, you know, we've probably made about, let me think here, probably five, six X our money on uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and Coinbase for our clients. Now, we've never held big positions because I don't think that it should be. We'll get into all that. But but I want to explain to you guys, give you an unbiased take. And when I say unbiased, crypto is a very hot topic. I always find myself somewhere smack dab in the middle of opinions. So I can pitch both sides of it really well. And that is precisely the reason that we don't have a big allocation to it. But it's precisely the reason that we have it to some capacity. So we'll, we'll explain all that. And then uh, the other thing I want to get into is an update on energy, a little bit more extensively than we're going to do in the, in the market update. Um, and then one of the things I want to talk about, and this kind of ties into what's happening in markets right now, <clears throat> I want to talk about what our advantage is. And by that, I don't mean bulwark. I mean you as an individual investor and bulwark as well, because we have the same advantage. But we're talking about what is the advantage? And people go, what if, I'm not a big institution. There is no advantage. Oh, there is. And it's not perfectly obvious. And for those of you that are watching the live feed, we're going to start recording the shows and put them on YouTube. I had a little bit of a bloody nose. So if you see me playing with my nose, or you see something sticking out of my nose. It is a piece of it is a piece of paper. <laughs> it's a, it is a Kleenex. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so let's get to the market update. Um, the biggest thing going on. OK, let's get in to what I think is so fascinating about this market. And I think I've mentioned this before. Maybe, on, maybe even on last year's or last week's show. But again, talking to several of our clients, I realized that this kind of went over people's heads. So I want to I I throw it out in a very basic way to, 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 so everybody absorbs this. When I say how odd the market is, what I mean is this. If you look at the percentage gain on the S&P or even the Dow, NASDAQ is trailing, but even the NASDAQ, it looks like a good year. And for all intents and purposes, it is, Right. S&P is right around 20, 21% on the year, give or take. 
Uh, NASDAQ's trailing it by like 2%, give or take. Dow's right in that same ballpark. I think it might be a little, little bit higher. I don't really watch the Dow. If you want to know where the, and that's just a side note, guys. If you want to know what the market's doing, I know everybody talks about the Dow. The Dow is 30 stocks. Look at the S&P 500. That's a real, that's the market, okay? That's, that's what you want to look at. But here's the anomaly. So if you think back to 2018, right, the Christmas massacre, Right, We leaked, I believe, 20% in six weeks leading right up to Christmas and bottoming on Christmas Eve, end of 2018. Okay? When we were down 20% at the bottom at the end of the session on Christmas Eve, 286 stocks on the New York Stock Exchange were trading in bear market territory. Okay? Two, excuse me, 260 stocks on the New York Stock Exchange were in bear market territory, which means they're 25 to 50% off their highs historically that's pretty normal okay if you have a market that's down 20 you know 250 350 stocks in bear market territory they you know there have been plenty of circumstances where it fell outside of that range but that's 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 fairly normal okay so not a surprise there you looked at that that makes sense you look at the market being down 20 percent. you look at the internals right the stocks the composites you'd expect to see 250 to 350 stocks in bear market territory okay Last Friday, now I don't know the numbers exactly, but, but they're, they're still relatively unchanged. Last Friday, the market was 8% off of its all-time high, okay, 8%. When you look underneath the hood, over 480 stocks are in bear market territory. So when you compare it to 2018, nearly twice as many stocks are in bear market territory, and yet the index is down less than half as much. What does that mean? That means the breadth of this market advance is as skinny as I have ever seen. Now, why do we bring that up? That is not a good sign. When a market is going up, the more stocks that are contributing to that move, the more bullish it is, period, because it means all parts of the market are rallying. Conversely, when a market is going up and a radically, you know, an extreme few number of stocks, are going up, which is the case today, right? Again, market's down 8%, but you've got double the amount of companies in bear market territory as you did when the market was down 20% at the end of 2018, right? What does that mean? That means that breadth is, is razor thin, okay? That means that an unbelievable skinny amount of stocks are driving the market. Why is that an issue? Because if something hits those stocks, Katie, bar the door. Now, do I think it's inevitable that something hits those stocks? No. So what is important about this piece of data? What is important about this piece of data is that this is a period of time. And I sent out a letter to our investors six weeks ago, and I was hoping that the letter was wrong. Okay. I was hoping the letter was wrong, but I put out a letter six weeks ago going, listen, I think we are headed into a period of time where there's going to be a lot of volatility to both sides, extreme moves up, extreme moves down. And I think at the end of the day as a money manager, how we perform in comparison to the market, whether fair or not, is how we are measured. And yet there are times, many times, where in order to generate the best returns and certainly the best risk-adjusted returns, you have to position your portfolio in such a way that you that, that, that where it is probable that you will probably underperform over the near future. And why do you have to do that? Because you are buying things that are irrationally cheap. And whenever you're buying things that are irrationally cheap, what 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 do those things require to work? They require time because when they're irrationally cheap, typically as is the case with the vast majority of companies we own, typically it's sentiment, right? It's, it's negative viewpoints driving, the, you know, that are holding these stocks down. And in the case of energy, in the case of raw materials, all the things that we think are going to be such great performers going forward, until that becomes apparent in the market, right? You still have that knife fight going on that we've been talking about so long, the high tech, right? The, the crazy valuations, the archetype stocks and the energy stock. It's just a knife fight back and forth. Which way are we going? Which way? 
So you guys know my opinion. You guys know where I think we're headed, right? I, I think it's very much an inflationary market. But I was telling our clients, look, performance is important. I get all that. But I firmly believe we're going to go into a period of time where if you let the index or even the short-term performance of our portfolio play too much in your face, it's going to cause you to make the wrong decisions. Now, I was hoping I was wrong, right? Everybody always hopes that we pick an investment or a stock and it just goes straight up. If they tell you that's not what they think, they're lying, right? And I said that in the letter to the clients. I go, listen, I hope I'm wrong. I just know that typically speaking, when you make a move like this, if you're right, it, it, it doesn't usually feel good in the beginning, especially when it's commodity markets. They're incredibly volatile, right? So... I, I, it's really playing out like that. I wished I was going to be wrong, but, it, but it doesn't look like I am. I, it, and this goes back to what I was saying about this. Do not, if you're loaded up on really expensive tech, you should be pay, paying attention to the market because that's the only thing holding it up. And so I think the market is giving you a good indicator on what's going on in tech. If you're not, if you're value investors, if you're in our portfolios, if you're in value stocks in general or energy or anything like that, I think the movements you're going to see over the next two months to either side, I kind of think they're immaterial, okay, because this is a long, this is a value play. We're not investing based on what's going to work best in the next quarter or what's going to work best in the next six months. And I think if you're doing that, you're missing the forest for the trees. So, and, and, and the illustration, the reason I was telling you about the market being so wonky like that, where there's twice as many stocks in bear market territory is because it's telling you the same thing. The index, the performance of the index is not giving you the story of what's going on in the market. It's, it's, it's giving you a very small piece of it and it's, and it's giving you a very deceiving piece of it. The stock market ain't up 22% this year, six stocks at the top are, okay. And we've seen this before that, like I said, doesn't mean things are going to topple, topple over. What it does mean is you got to make sure your exposures are right. You got to make sure someone's managing that risk. You got to make sure that you are protected either way. So you got a portfolio that can go up with the market if it continues to go up. But if this was the beginning of a tech deflation, you know, a big, big amounts of turmoil in the market, you got to have a strategy underneath. You, you got to have a net, guys, especially when markets are this expensive. You got to have a strategy. You got to have a risk management strategy that at worst case scenario is going to keep the worst outcome off the table. That's what we do. That's why our clients were only down an average of five to six percent last March and still finished with performance that was in, 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 in on average, because it depends on how conservative their portfolios were built, but you know, somewhere between 14 to 21% on the year beating the S and P, even though they were only down five to six, because that, that risk management strategy kicked in and kept us from falling. It works. Call us 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. We got to take a quick break. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. We're going to dig more into the market update. I didn't get to hit all my stuff, so we'll do a market update 2.0, and then we'll get into the rest of the topics we've got. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. With all this money printing and with still 0% interest rates, inflation will very likely rise, and when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been telling people for six years, if you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a serious gamble with your retirement. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement with the firm's license to conduct business. Borough Capital is a DBA of Clerk Creek Financial Management, registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another segment 
I almost started the opening there. Um, anyway, okay, so we want to continue on because there's a lot of different stuff going on. And I just really wanted to tell you guys that I really wanted to make that clear for those of you managing your own money at home or those of you that listen and think about calling us. Now is a good time to be cautious, period. You know, I not don't sell everything. I'm just saying I think a lot of especially retail investors – are looking at this going, this looks like the start of a normal Santa Claus rally. It could certainly resolve that way, guys. And I'm not telling you to sell everything. I'm just saying, due to these internals, they're not good. And it's certainly something, again, it, you know, I'll, I'll steal a line from a, from a colleague of mine. Um, when, you, when you see these things, they do not mean that a crash is happening, but it's the equivalent of, you know, driving on a day where, you know, it's 28 degrees outside, stormy and nasty with freezing rain. It doesn't mean you're going to crash, but it does mean you should probably be a little bit more cautious and defensive. That's what I'm saying. This is an environment that really is not conducive to taking a lot of risk. Um, You know, sitting on your hands, having some cash, you know, don't not trying to time markets, but it's certainly a time to keep things, you know, close to home. Um, oil and nat gas. Uh, I think oil and nat gas right now are responding as they typically would to macroeconomic headlines. You see economic weakness coming out of China. You see oil getting hit a little bit hard. In my opinion, this is the continuation of the market, not really in turn. And it could just be due to high frequency trading. It could just be due to algorithmic trading and things like that, trading off of headlines and typical price movements. I think that the interesting setup right now in oil is that those typical macro indicators, right? If, if China's economy is slowing down, you would think that that would put a hit on oil demand. And and, and it would, right? In this case, I really don't think it's going to matter with the current backdrop we're looking at. At this point, Omicron does not seem that serious, kind of like we said when it first got announced, right? And if it's not serious, you're not going to get more lockdowns. So you may see some slowing in China, but with the rest of the economies around the world opening up, I would expect the, the, right, the inflationary force of that to well override a, a, a bit of a slowdown or a pullback in Chinese demand. And then you add that to supply shortages, right? So what I'm saying is that the market taking these typical cues off oil, I think it's wrong footed because the oil sector itself is not in a normal place, meaning that oil tradition, we've talked about this, it's almost like a teeter-totter. As oil prices go up, supply is going to increase. They're going to drill more wells. They're going to pump more. That is a decidedly different scenario that we are currently in. In order for that supply to come on the way the market's anticipating it, oil prices have to go a lot higher. Why? Because they're not turning on shale with oil $5 above shale break even. All of that shale production that's been shut down and those shale companies have gone bankrupt, they need $65 oil to break even. You were looking at 30, 40% bankruptcies last year. Okay, no one is chasing into that stuff with oil at 70. So no one's chasing into it with oil at 80. So that supply will come back, but it's not going to be like normal. When you add the natural financial constraints of the energy producers, right, to, you know, again, the drilling on federal lands is not as, and this is not a political statement. This is an economic statement, okay? So don't think I'm siding with one side or the other. I'm not. Again, keeping politics out of it. Outlawing the drilling on federal lands is not as big a deal as it sounds. It's not as much land as you'd think, okay? So it's not a, but does it help the scenario? No. So they, all of those things are in play. I, I think the thing that's most attractive to oil for me is, I'm not 100% convinced that oil is going to skyrocket. I think it very well could. The thing I like it about right now is the stocks are dirt cheap, priced as if oil is at a $25 to $30 a barrel. I th- Again, it's oil. It can do anything. But barring another lockdown, I, I really think it's going to ha- be really hard to see oil get below 60 and stay there. And again, risk management. Why do we like this so much right now? Because the stocks are priced as if oil's at 25 to 30. And on a fundamental basis, it's really hard to see it below 60. So, you know, and then on top of it. So I, I just think that the possibility of having real losses in this stuff is very low. And the probability of this stuff going up two, three, four times is pretty decent. Like not saying it's, you know, an 80% chance, but it's certainly, a, you know, measurable, you know, 15, 20, 25%, maybe higher. 
But right, that's kind of risk management. It's not just what we think it's going to make. It's if we're wrong, how much can we lose? These prices are really depressed, so they can have some volatility. I just don't think you're, you know, I don't think you're going to be sitting on these things with losses for the next two years. So that that remains very attractive, and I think the market is really not looking at at the scenario with oil and gas correctly. The other thing you want to watch is geopolitical issues, right? So you've got talks about Russia and the Ukraine heating up again. Biden made some kind of thinly veiled threats to Putin about it the other day. Why is that important? Because of the scenario and who Russia provides a lot of energy to. Especially in an energy crisis, Russia's biggest leverage it has over its European neighbors is the fact that they're a big supplier of natural gas and energy. If things get more, if if things get more, you know, contentious there in the Ukraine between the Ukraine and Russia, chances are there's going to be sanctions put against them by us, which are going to be backed up by the EU. And in that scenario, I would expect Putin to step back and even tighten energy flows as a response. That seems normal. Now, I can't guarantee all this. I didn't call Vlad up before I got on the show and get his breakdown. But that's the way he plays ball. So until I see him do it differently, I wouldn't. So the interesting thing to me is when you look at the energy shortages in Europe, especially Germany, if they've got to get in a standoff with Russia over what's going on in the Ukraine, that could be a huge impetus for a massive spike in the price of, of, of natural gas. And I think the geopolitical risk that we brought up is something that nobody's talked about, right? It's the issues with Russia. It's the potential of China and Taiwan. If any of those things were to go down, this stuff would go through the roof. And, and that feeds right into the, to the inflation story as a whole, guys. Right? I mean, all of these things... Right, the repatriation of, of manufacturing facilities out of China. Right, that's inflationary. I'm just saying that you when you set back and look at the whole setup, I can see a scenario where energy does not do what we think it could. Okay, I can see a scenario. But man, I see a lot of scenarios where it's gonna rip. And I'm just convinced that if this doesn't end up being the quote unquote big energy crisis. That again, our energy policies are going to pretty much guarantee, in my opinion, we'll see, but I think our energy policies are going to guarantee that we'll, we'll get one eventually. Um, other one we want to watch right now, it's a big deal, guys, is ARC. Uh, the big high-flying tech stuff, especially the stuff that did so well in COVID, saved the, the giant tech companies, the ones at the top. Um, they're getting taken to the woodshed. And that is odd because they have not done this in this kind of market. Right? S&P's going up. That's been a driver. It's not now. Um, hasn't been. I think you need to be very careful right now about the kind of stocks. Now is when you need to know own quality companies. I just think that you've got a setup here that could hurt a lot of retail investors because they're the ones that are loaded up in this stuff. So anyway, we've got to take a quick break. We're going to be right back to have our crypto conversation. I'm not a shill for it, guys. I'm also not a detractor. If you want to know the skinny, the pluses and minuses on both sides of the crypto and whether you should be involved in it, listen to our next segment coming right up. You don't want to miss it. As always, if you recognize that you would like a risk management strategy, you would like a portfolio that includes energy plays and that we're looking for special opportunities and we're managing risk and we have strategies to prevent losses, which is why our average client was only down five or six last March when the market was down 63 or 36, sorry. If you want to pay less money, lower risk and higher, uh, the high, much higher potential returns, which is what everybody should want. Give us a call. 866-779-RISK. And 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Follow me on Twitter at KYR Radio. We will be right back. Stick with us. This is the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? 
ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement where the firm's license conduct business. Borough Capital's DBA of Clerk Creek Financial Management, registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. And let's get right in to our crypto conversation. So if any of you are in crypto... You will know. Funny story. He'll probably hear this, but a uh, client of mine, it's actually a little younger than me. His wife worked for a big uh, crypto company and they wisely overloaded their compensation in, in that company's stock. And um, that company's stock went public. And at the young age of 35, 36, 37, upper 30s, right in there. Um, they made a pile of money. And uh, so when you hear the detractors out there, they're, they're, and, and, and they didn't just happen into it. This is a very smart guy. I'm assuming his wife is really smart too. I haven't spoken to her, but I've dealt a lot with him. He is a very smart guy, really understands this, and he's made multiple tens of millions of dollars off crypto. Okay, crypto can make you money. The stories you're hearing are not nonsense. Those are real dollars. There are very smart people involved. And I got a client, right? It's not all just like, you know, it's not all just pie in the sky stuff. Furthermore, crypto, in my opinion, and the technology it's bringing with it, it's here to stay. And I think 10 years from now, we will see spinoffs and uses of that technology that nobody considered. And I kind of equate that to the whole NFT things in non-fungible tokens. Okay. Little primer on what that is, is it's basically using the structure, right, of, of crypto. Now, I'm, I'm, if you're a hardcore crypto guy out there, don't be like, oh, that's not exactly. I'm trying to make this <laughs> digestible. But a non-fungible token is kind of like wrapping a patent around something that verifies its authenticity and its ownership. And the other cool thing about what those non-fungible tokens can do is think if you're an artist, think if you're going to sell a painting, you can set those non-fungible tokens up. So every single time they're sold, the original artist gets a kickback. So when I see a situation like that, where the non-fungible, and if like, let's say you want to buy a painting, you could get on a marketplace and buy a famous painting, you know, at 11 in the 11 at night on a Saturday, on your phone, just like you buy a stock. That's how you could do it with these non-fungible tokens, which puts an unbelievable amount of access and power into the buyer's hands. But the thing that get, has sold me on these things becoming much more prominent in the economy and the world is that the creators, right, the artists actually putting out the content will make more money and have their stuff more protected by selling it via NFTs. That to me is the driver, right? The people that want to buy this stuff will go wherever they need to go to buy it. And the non-fungible tokens make it more convenient for them. But the real driver to me for that movement is how much better it is for the artist. Think about an artist that sells a painting, right? For like, you know, a thousand bucks, he's getting his start. Then he hits it big and that painting ends up being worth two million bucks. Now, he can't go resell it for $2 million, but let's say that NFT throws him a 1.5% or 2.5% commission off every sale. Well, when it sells for $2.5 million, he's going to get a commission off that that is far in excess of what he originally sold it for. Right? So it's a way for them to protect their work. They can also leave the NFT after they, right? They can also, they can also leave, you know, that, 
they can leave that that royalty benefit coming off the NFT to their trust. So maybe their art doesn't pick up until 20 years after they die. We know plenty of examples of that, right? Their trust, their beneficiaries could still benefit from it down the road. So there is real technology coming out of this that I think is going to be here with us to stay. Now, the problem I have with that entire space right now is that a lot of people have realized what I've realized. And the stuff of, in my opinion, a lot of this stuff is floating in the ether, not tied to any type of real valuations. So when I see something like that, what it tells me that I want to have involvement, but I want to have it small. Because overwhelmingly the odds are that despite the proliferation and success of a lot of these technologies that will be birthed from this crypto movement, that stuff is really expensive. It appears to be right. Chances are that if it gets real and if it becomes what I think it will, you will have opportunities to buy this stuff at substantially lower prices. So when I look at something, the way I think to it is I go, okay, that's part of the future. I need to have exposure to it, but I don't want a whole lot because I know that with new technologies, they're going to have these unbelievable periods of ascension and they're going to have really brutal cor- corrections. At least that's the way it's always worked in the past, right? Think of 19. I kind of think it's similar in 1999 that way. Right. Everybody calls that a bubble and it certainly was. But in 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 some way, the bubble was predicting the right. The the success that tech was going to have. It was just 15 to 20 years early. I kind of think that's the scenario we're seeing in crypto right now. I think that you will see big corrections, big crashes. But I think right now the problem is, is not that it's not viable. I just think it's it's. I think it could be doing this. I think it's, it's extrapolating out, you know, 10 to 15 years, kind of like the tech bubble was in 99, right? Cause a lot of those companies went bankrupt. A lot of these crypto things will go bankrupt too. A lot of the coins will just go to zero, right? And even the survivors will probably get rocked, but then the economy will find more uses for the technology Then the, right? So I just, I think it's a long-term story. So if we're going to get to crypto, my thing is the truth is somewhere in the middle. And when I say that, I am in the middle of, you know, I I would consider myself somewhere between Charlie Munger and my friend Mark Yusko. And not Mark Yusko, because he's smarter and more of a risk management guy. But but so many of these Bitcoin maximalists uh, out there, meaning the answer to every problem is Bitcoin. The only investment you should own is Bitcoin. If you don't, you're an idiot. You're going to be poor. Bitcoin's the only thing to worry. Guys, I've heard that story a hundred times. You know how many times I've seen an investor successful with a one asset class portfolio? Never. Right? Typically, they get blown out, sell at the bottom, and that asset usually comes back. But that is an idiotic approach, especially if you are close to retirement or you're already wealthy. When I see wealthy people rolling big money in crypto, I'm like sitting there going, why are you doing that? Well, I think it's going to win. That's beside the point. You're already wealthy. Why bring in the possibility of catastrophic loss when you've already won the game? The other thing is play it with a tenth of your portfolio. Play it with 5% of your portfolio. So if it goes bad, you're still rich, right? That's risk management. And, And guys, like so many other things in life, Think about it. Think about your own experience. The reality typically lies somewhere in the middle. Could Bitcoin go to $500,000 like Kathy Wood's saying? Absolutely. I remember when it was back at 1000 This is a bubble. It's not going anywhere. It went to fifty. If you don't think it can go to $500, you are lying to yourself. If you don't think it can go to a million, you're lying to yourself. Why? The same reason it seems ridiculous is the same reason it could go to a million. Meaning it's not tied to anything. It's not tied to any valuation. The other thing about Bitcoin is it has got a lot of really good, cool parts to it. They can't make any more of it. Every transaction is recorded on the blockchain so everybody can see it. It's transparent. It still offers people a much higher level of anonymity. There are all kinds of advantages to Bitcoin. More importantly, when used as a currency, it takes the power out of central banks' hands. Okay, so a lot of the things they're saying about Bitcoin, I agree with. Now let's flip on over. I have a hard time believing, and I know people say there's no way governments can shut it down. That's a ridiculous statement. 
Okay, And I don't know enough to tell you all the ins and outs, but governments could tax it in a certain way, which makes it unfeasible. Right. They outlawed gold. They can figure out a way to shut down crypto. I, you know, when you say that's not possible, I'm just like, come on, man. Are you kidding me? I mean, maybe it, maybe if they can't figure out a way to beat it, they put the best hackers with the best security in the world. They go crack into those Bitcoin exchanges and start shutting it down. I mean, they're. And I'm not saying they can completely eradicate it and get rid of it. I don't think they can. But I think that they can mess it up enough to to drive people out of it. Now, maybe they won't. I just have never thought that when you get mass adoption into Bitcoin and it starts being used as a currency. If that occurs. I I just don't think there's any way the central banks in the world are going to sit back and watch that happen. Right. So that to me is the biggest risk factor to Bitcoin. So. Bitcoin crypto has been rocked recently. Not crazy. We've seen bigger drawdowns, right? There's, this is not the end of the world at all. But my position on Bitcoin in a risk management way, is it appropriate to have in a portfolio? You guys have heard me say this before. You can put anything in a portfolio. It's about how much size. And for those of you that say, oh, it shouldn't be in a portfolio. I'm never calling Zach if he's going to do that. Well, why don't I show you what we made on our Bitcoin trades, right? We bought it at 15,000. Okay. It went to 30. We sold half. So now we all we were doing is playing with house money. It went to 64,000. Then it pulled back. We sold it at 58. Bitcoin dropped all the way to 30,000. It started rebounding. We bought it again at 37,000. Rode it back up to 60,000. Sold half again at 60,000. And now we own like 1.5% of the portfolio or something like that. Okay, so we've probably added about 3, 4, 5% in gains to our average clients by portfolio by trading Bitcoin, but at no point was Bitcoin ever bigger than a 3% portfolio weight in our value portfolio. Right? So that's the way I believe that you should play it. You should have enough to where if it does go to the moon, it can make a difference. And think about it. It's a 3% position. If it goes up 10x to 500,000 with a 3% portfolio weight, it would, it would effectively make, you know, uh, it'd make your portfolio go up 27, 28%. Right? So three portfolio, a 3% position can add 25, 27%, 28% to your entire portfolio. But if it loses 50%, it's a one and a half percent hit. You don't have to be an all or none investor, guys. That's the whole point of risk management. We can take swings. Our clients right now are short the ARC funds that own Tesla. Sark. Why? We got a four and a half percent stop loss. It's a wonderful little market hedge right now. And if we're wrong, we'll get kicked out of it. Right. Those are the kind of things that we can add value as active managers. And it doesn't have to be an all or none scenario. You jump in there, give it a go. If it rides up, you ride with it. If it doesn't, you get out. Now, you need to know how to do that. Because until you learn how to trade like that, you'll probably just get chopped up, which you'll sell. It'll keep going down and then it'll go back up. You'll buy higher then it'll drop and it could chew you up if you don't know what you're doing. But I'm just saying it doesn't have to be an all or none proposition. And the truth, as always, in my opinion, lies somewhere in the middle. Don't load up on this stuff, but you can own a little or you can give us a call. Right. We, I, you know, I hear people say this all the time. Don't you want some active management? Don't you want to know somebody sitting at the helm 24 hours a day? And that their livelihood is tied to the results of your investment portfolio? Don't you want a little exposure to Bitcoin and be able to generate an extra 5 or 6% for the portfolio? Don't you only want to be down 10 to 12, or excuse me, 5 to 6% when the market drops 36 and still beat it to the upside and spend less money? You should. You should. There's a better way. Call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Get our Common Sense Investment Booklet. Set up a 15-minute portfolio review with me or one of our advisors. Just get educated, guys. Nobody's telling you to get, nobody's asking you to get married. But you guys out there in these 60-40 portfolios, mutual funds, A, you're getting killed on fees. Your performance has been awful. And you're getting drilled just as bad in market drops. Not a single part of that portfolio is working. 
We du- we've doubled the return of the average 60-40 portfolio over the last two years, and we were down less than half as much in March. There's a better way. Call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Got to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back. You won't want to miss this. Going to hit on energy and what is happening and why we hedged it. I want people to understand. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement where the firm's license to conduct business. Bulwark Capital's DBA of Clerk Creek Financial Management, registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. All right. Right, right when we get, well, uh, see, even even guys that do this every week still choke on our own words. Anyway, uh, before I get rolling on this next segment, just want to remind you, I just saw a note. It's pretty crazy how the podcast has grown. Um, about 200,000 downloads here in the, in the last 12 months and climbing. Um, and just as a reminder, guys, you want to listen to the show again, the most convenient way to do it is just to download or you don't even have to download an app. Just sign up, subscribe to the, to the podcast by going to knowyourriskradio.com. Um, or just Google Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. You can sign up for it on Stitcher. There's all these other sites. And you can listen to it whenever you want. You can listen to it when you're working in the yard, in your car, whatever the case may be. Because I know you don't want to miss it, right? It's the most scintillating hour in finance radio. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but no, it's, 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 it's a lot more convenient. I love podcasts. You get rolling on them and you're going to get addicted because it's just content at demand. You can listen to it whenever you want sitting in traffic, whatever the case may be. So again, to sign up, you just subscribe. doesn't cost anything. You get emailed reminders when the, when the a new episodes popped up. And so you're good to go. Anyway, had an interesting question today, this week, I'd say about 60 to 70% of our content. I rip right off our clients over the course. <laughs> I usually tell them too. And it's funny when I'm using one of their examples, they'll call in and be like, I know you were talking about me, Zach. So if you know who I'm talking about here, it's a compliment. Don't take it as an insult. But I thought he asked a great question. Um, And he's a newer client, been with us for about seven months. And he goes, Zach, he goes, I'm all in on the inflation story. And he goes, it's one of the reasons I picked you. He goes, I like how, you know, it's dynamic management that we're changing the portfolio to fit the environment and all that kind of stuff, right? And he goes, but here's the deal. He goes, you've got this thing in there that is, you know, going against energy. And he goes, it looks like you've hedged the energy exposure. And he goes, why would you do that? He goes, I'm with you. He goes, you know, I know it's gotten hit a little bit, but I can take the volatility. I I, I agree with the thesis. I think you're right. And I said to him, I go, listen, this is part of risk management. Okay. The reason we hedge, first of all, is because in our value portfolio, we are running about 23 to 25% exposure to oil and natural gas. Okay, the S&P is at two and a half. If we are wrong, our performance will diverge wildly from the S&P 500. Now, I'm okay with that. Why am I okay with that? For the same reason that we're going to do a topic next that I'll probably have to do on the extended, you know, the after hours session. But what's our advantage? I'm okay with it because I know something that the vast majority of retail investors don't know. 
And that is oftentimes when you get your greatest outperformance, it follows a period of underperformance. Now, why is that? Because your greatest outperformance typically comes when you buy something that is ridiculously undervalued. When something is ridiculously undervalued, in fact, when there is an entire sector that's ridiculously undervalued, one of the big reasons it's ridiculously undervalued is because nobody wants it. So when sentiment against an investment is that bad, you know that they're not looking at the fundamentals, right? Everybody's just saying fundamentally, we don't want that. So usually what it takes is it takes a certain point, and you can never really predict where that point is, but a break point when all of a sudden the fundamentals overwhelm the negative sentiment and the stuff skyrockets in a hurry, right? Think about our value portfolio that rallied literally Good Lord, what was that? I think it was up like 48% in three months, right? Boom, right after the election was over, value went on a tear. Now we did, we went up a lot more than, than the value indexes. But if you pull up the value indexes, you'll see what I'm talking about. We just had a couple really hot picks that drove our performance a lot hotter. But it happened like that. It wasn't gradual, right? I'm reminded of another hedge fund manager I know. Guy by, I don't know him. I know of him. I think he's very smart. In 2006, his hedge fund lost 50%. The following year, it was up 350. Why? The same investments drove both results. The uranium was in a similar situation back then than it is now. It was way too cheap based on demand. So he loaded up on a bunch of small uranium stocks, knowing that it was a great long-term picture. That year, that investment lost him 50%. He kept buying as they went down. He trusted the fundamental research. Then all of a sudden that fundamental research became apparent to the market and boom, those things shot up. There are times, not all, and this is the tricky part of it, but there are times when over the short term, you have to ignore performance as it relates to being in the market because Over short period, another example, Berkshire Hathaway, 1999, the NASDAQ went up 100% in a year. Berkshire Hathaway was down 25. Do you know how many people capitulated in 1999 and sold their Berkshire Hathaway? Okay. Fast forward to 2000, 2001, NASDAQ drops 85% top to bottom and Berkshire Hathaway goes on one of its greatest runs in history. That is what I'm talking about. Now, just because you're underperforming doesn't mean you're about ready to outperform. I, right? I'm not saying that. Sometimes it means you're just bad, right? Or you got a bad portfolio. But when you, that's why it is so important, in my opinion, that a value portfolio has to be a part of, of an approach. Because the only way you stay in those investments is if you are looking at the fundamentals, if you are looking at the business, it's, it's, you know, it's like the old story in the Bible about it was it Peter that walked on water, right? But he had to keep his eyes on Jesus, right? He couldn't look at the waves. See, the value investing is the same way. Now you see the stock going down. It can be frustrating. Then you go back to the fundamental research and you go, no, this is what I thought it was. We're not wrong. We're just early. And guys, that's how you outperform. Everybody wants to outperform. Nobody wants to do the work. Nobody wants to underperform the S&P for three to six months. Now, hopefully we don't have to underperform for three to six months. But oftentimes that's the game. And that's why we hedge. That's why we manage risk, right? If, if, if energy is about to get pounded, I want to hedge that energy exposure. Why? Well, because I don't like watching the portfolios go down and neither do the clients. But also that hedge is making us money. So let's say those stocks pull back another 20, 25%. We're really not going to lose much, right? Because the hedge is going up as fast as the stocks are going down. But what does that hedge do? It provides us liquidity. We made money on it so we can harvest the profit and buy more of the stuff we like if it does get hit. Right, Because we're not going to let the market hitting it by 10 or 20% dissuade us because we're focused on the fundamental picture. We're focused on the profit and the cash flow, the things that actually matter. 
right? So it does two things. It buoys us, makes the ride smoother, but it allows us to buy more. We did it last week, right? So we hedged it at about 98 bucks on XOP. XOP dropped down to 93. We took a little profit out of the hedge and added to some of our favorite energy positions, right? That's risk management. So if the stuff we like gets hit really hard, we're not going to really lose much, but we're actually going to be able to buy more. That's risk management, guys. That's why we do it. Now, on the flip side, we've got a stop loss to the upside on that hedge, too. If XOP gets over 103, I can't remember where our point is right now. I've got it on the on the trade blotter. But um, we've got a hard stop to get off that hedge. So we get above that level. We pull the hedge off and let it run. Could it hurt our performance? Not really now because we already pulled some of the profit and added to it, right? But it could, it could pull a little smoke out of the trade as a whole. But again, it's like buying house insurance. You know, we're, we're taking, again, we're, we're potentially giving up a little bit of upside, but we're taking the catastrophic loss scenario off the table. This is why I talk about investment, guys. One of the advantages to active management, if it's done properly in risk management, is that we can take home run swings without having to deal with the full pain of the strikeout. It doesn't have to be an all or none situation. That's why we hedge. Right? So worst case scenario, but we come out okay. And it'll provide lumpy returns, but we do that enough time, we're going to hit some of them. Like we hit Bed Bath & Beyond at $4.60, sold it eight months later, it's 46 Like we GameStop at 10 sold it at 43 Conical Phillips at 30 now it's 75 Right? The you're you're gonna get the big hits you got to avoid the losses and if you do it correctly the losses can actually pay for more juice toward the big hit if that's the kind of thinking you want in your portfolio and when the market's down 36 you're only down five or six like we were last march get the bonds out of your portfolio increase the upside drastically increase the security and lower your cost if that doesn't interest you i'm wondering if you got a pulse or a brain but if it does, give us a call, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boracapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Follow me on Twitter, at KYR Radio. We got to go. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Clear Creek Financial Management, a registered investment advisor.